Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gabe. And here we are, January. Uh, Snow is falling outside. It's been quite a week. And I know for everybody in our nation, this last week has just been one of those that is making people go a lot deeper into Mm -hmm. what they think, who they believe, what they've been communicating. I think it's just been a a moment of deep, deep reflection. Yeah, and relationships, I think. A lot of conversations. People are pressing in what I'm seeing and what I'm what I'm being challenged to do is just talk to people on all sides of this political climate and where they where they stand, what they believe, why they believe it, listening, leaning in, listening. I just think civility is so desperately needed right now. And so what does faithfulness look like to do yeah, that? Yeah, and, and listening to others to understand, yeah. not, not necessarily to convince or argue, but to try to understand one another. We, we're going to need so much more of that. Yeah in the days ahead. And and we talk a lot about that relationship power and our connect rhythm because relationships are so important. And so we thought today we wanted to take a deeper look into marriage. And for some of you, I know you may not be married, but you likely come from a family where you either grew up with a marriage that was really healthy or maybe unhealthy, or maybe you're in a family that experienced divorce. And today we're going to talk to a couple that really goes there. And, and reveals so much of what their journey has been. Yes, I respect this couple so much. They've been married 30 years, but they really just dive into the topic of, um, I can't do this anymore. Right? Like It's kind of how it begins with Tony uh, 15 years into marriage saying, I can't do this anymore. And then now they're 30 years married. Just tell the journey. Honestly, it's very raw, very practical. I think you're going to really be encouraged. Yeah, some of you have heard of Carrie Newhoff, maybe, who's a pastor and a leader who helps coach and, and lead a lot of different ministry leaders and corporate leaders. But his wife, Tony, this is her first telling of their side of the story. And Tony Newhoff uh, is also somebody who has deep experience as a family law mediator. She's also a former divorce attorney. And so we really get into what happens in a marriage when you reach that moment where you feel like it's over. I can't do this anymore. And you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so let's listen in now to their story and find hope and solutions for all of us when we walk through that type of disagreement and dysfunctional moment. Tony and Carrie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for today. Hey, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're honored. Thanks so much for having us, Rebecca and Gabe. Yeah, we love you guys, love your ministry and the way in which you've just been leading so many leaders for so long. And as we talk about the idea of connecting and rhythm, your story has been so compelling to Rebecca and I. Mm -hmm. As we've read your writing, Tony, just such a great, really memoir, but also very helpful practical guidance for marriages. And I know for Rebecca and I, that's been a huge priority over the last couple of years is really exposing the hardship of marriage, trying to talk vulnerably about that. And and then you guys come along and bravely described what you've had to walk through over your 30-year-plus marriage. And we just want to spend some time hearing that story. So, Tony, why don't you begin 
and and just help our listeners kind of come into this place of of understanding what marriage felt like for you, you know, 15 years ago. Sure. Yeah. 15 years ago out of our 30 years, I think was probably the lowest point. Yeah. Carrie, it was in yep. in that in that span. And uh at that point, we had just gotten into this this downward spiral of conflict. Uh, that always seemed to create this kind of tension that, you know, sometimes we'd suppress and kind of hold it under the surface, um, but it didn't take much at all to have it erupt again. And we just couldn't seem to get to a place of resolving that tension that we were experiencing and on our own. Right. Eventually, we realized that we needed to double down on our spiritual disciplines, our personal growth, um, going to counseling, for example, and and really start to take seriously the things that had already been on our radar screen. I mean, you know, we were leading a church at that time, and, and both of us were wholeheartedly in for our ministry, serving the people in our community. Uh, we really wanted our marriage to work deep down, um, but we just found ourselves caught up in these big emotions and triggers, and we could never really seem to get to the bottom of it. Right. Even our our conflict styles were so different that, uh, you know, in retrospect, we have a pretty clear 2020 view of what was going on, but then it was just so confusing. Yeah. So your book that is out this week is called Before You Split, Find What You Really Want for the Future of Your Marriage. So thank you. First of all, I'm just jumping in the deep end about this book titled Before You Split. There's a lot of marriage books out there, and they don't really deal with the crisis moment, in my opinion. There's a lot of this will improve your marriage, how to have a healthier marriage. But I believe that in the faith space, we have to actually go plunge the depths because not everybody can afford a counselor on call when they're in the crisis moments. When they say the phrase, I can't do this anymore, which you talk about in the very beginning, I can't do this anymore. I mean, if someone has that word on their lips, they need someone to hold their hand immediately. And not always are both parties interested in that. You know, maybe one spouse is, the other isn't, or finances are are at a loss, you know. And I do think, especially in the last 12 months, that's been a, that's kind of all been escalated because whatever has been hidden has come to the surface, especially in the faith space. So when I started reading your book, I was moved by um, just this, how you connected with a reader when you said maybe you're in that season of a long, drawn-out argument, which is what you're describing, you know, this long, drawn-out argument, or perhaps you and your spouse just drifted apart over time and the feelings are gone. The long, drawn-out argument is usually the thing that just, it's always the same thing that you fight about. And it usually comes um, from your background and your upbringing and your belief system. And now when you just said, when I look back with 2020 vision, we know why, but what for you guys was, give us an example of what a long drawn out argument looks like. Hmm. Oh, we have lots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think because, well, we met at law school and Mm -hmm. we're both trained as lawyers. And so uh, that really 
seem to work against us sometimes. You're so good you at raised arguing. it. Like, yeah, money <laughs> yeah. money was a long drawn out argument. As you know, mm-hmm. we left law. I got into ministry for the money. Joke. Um, <laughs> it was a massive pay cut, and things were tight, and we were trying to raise kids, and. I tend to be a little bit more, again, we have perspective on it now. We didn't at the time, but I tend to be a little bit more on the spender side. You would be more on the safety and saver Saving, side. Yes. Uh, which, and so that was a protracted argument. I'm more task. Mm-hmm. Tony is more people. So mm-hmm. I'm also, I don't know, I've never been diagnosed OCD. And I certainly don't have like, I have to touch the doorknob five times or, you know, <laughs> close the close the drawer in a certain way. Uh, but environment's really important to me. And I find to be able to do my work, if it's cluttered or chaotic, I really struggle. And that was just a constant. That shows up mm-hmm. in the book. You wrote about that. Yeah. But well, it was yeah. A, and Tony's relationship, like she will be the one who's like, let's leave the dishes and just have a real connection, which actually I think puts her on the side of Jesus. But I will defend my territory on that <laughs> one. Um, you know. And you did. And I did. I yeah. did. Yeah. Even though you were with Jesus on that one. I believe you've uh, described yeah. most marriages. I, I, there's mm. always mm. one who spends more than saves, who needs tidiness. Um, I'm Gabe and I, I mean, you're just you're defining us. You I'm are tidy, very well you're, describing you're just us. Tidier. I, I am definitely tidier. I cannot have doors open. I can't have doors open or piles everywhere. Um, I get that totally. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and, and you know what? The drawer could be a mess, but as long as it doesn't look like it's a mess, right. it's fine. It's then true. I can do my work. So I'm not even consistent. Right. Like sometimes I see these Enneagram ones and they're like, you know, everything is, you know, the pencils are all sharpened in an order. And I'm like, okay, that's really cool, but that's not me. I just yeah. have to have the appearance of order. I only do yeah. that about once every six months where it's just like, maybe if we clean out the junk drawer, everything will be better. <laughs> 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 but that's the stuff of marriage, right? right. Like that is where it, where, and then, and then things were going so well at the church for me. It was growing and you're respected there and then you come home and you're perhaps not as respected or deserving of respect in that context. Well, it was, it was a hard season because we were, we were both really very invested in what was going on at the church. Yeah. yeah. And, and I also were. worked as a professional out outside the home part-time in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we had this dynamic going on where, um, Carrie, sometimes, you know, you were working long hours and I, I was saying like, I'm exhausted. I can't keep up. I can't keep everything done at home. Yeah. But the environment was triggering you. And then and, and then I would say, well, uh, you know, I need somebody to step up and, and co-parent with me. Like, if you're not going to be here, at least cut me some slack on what the environment looks like. So it was... Uh, you know, and, and Carrie had his um, complaints too that were legitimate. You know, sometimes I really just wasn't making the effort, but I was hiding behind that story that I'm too exhausted to sure. make the effort. You know, it was it was one of those things where there's a kernel of truth, but I'd stretched it too far. I know, and you write about this in your book, but you found yourself at this place where you're contemplating: Is this going to work? And how how can this marriage work? And how can we recommit? And I know, Tony, what's brilliant about the way God's designed your journey is you spend a lot of your time helping people in that moment. And I think for listeners, you know, who've met with their own family law mediator or a divorce attorney, because they're at that point where they're going, I'm not sure we're going to make it. What you do is you give a story of hope that that does not have to be the answer. And I think in a culture today where we are kind of fed this belief that if I'm on my own, I'll be better off. Mm-hmm. If I just get out of this sort of marriage that's a ball and chain to my life and is holding me back from the f- true freedom I could experience alone, 
you guys are confronting that lie and you've been doing that on the ground helping people for so many years so i want to i want to hear how you started to make the decision that you were going to recommit that you were going to stay in this and you were going to figure out how to redefine what your marriage was going to look like i think there were there were a few marker moments um but one of them i think back to was was actually a sermon that Carrie was preaching one day and uh, he was talking about Paul's words, um, reminding people that, you know, the person beside you is not your enemy. Our battle is not against flesh, but against the the powers and principalities in the unseen realm. And he actually had people turn to their to the person they were sitting beside and say, you are not my enemy. And uh, it sounds pretty powerful. Like it sounds like a dramatic thing to say, but in that moment I thought, wow, we are actually acting like we're enemies sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's not our intent. It's not where we want to be, but we're acting that way. And um, so at that point, I remember making this commitment that, yes, you know, there's something else going on here, but Carrie is... Uh, is my spouse. He's not my enemy. It was a very convicting moment, you know, when the words from, and and I think there was a spiritual component definitely to the conflict mm. we are going through. But, you know, to your question, for me, uh, we did invest in counseling. And, and I, I hear what you're saying and I appreciate what you said. Like <laughs> almost everybody I've sent to counseling never has money for counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see it as an investment, not an expense. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, maybe there's yeah. a, a pastor or a friend or somebody, but don't suffer alone. And the counselors were really good for me. Like, you know, if, if you think counseling is expensive, divorce is more expensive. That's all I'm, I'm going to yeah, say about that. Yes. Like, it just it just is. <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, it says the divorce and attorney. I, I, um, I'd like to um, point to another moment as well, because I think this one really shows a, a clear change in direction. Um, when Carrie and I were in the middle of this season, and we were actually in the middle of another one of our arguments, and I was I was withdrawing into my own world as I typically would, and he he actually came up in front of me and looked me in the eyes and said, "Tony, this is it. You deserve someone who cherishes you, and that's what I'm committing to do from now on." Hmm. And yeah. that was a that was one of those you know markers on the ground. Like, I think that it's was going to be different now. I think that was a counseling uh, insight for me, and it was years of counseling over over time. But I began to realize that the problems that I thought were Tony were not Tony. Tony had her own issues, but I'm not the one to solve them. And that oh my goodness, I'm not exactly the saint here. I have all kinds of issues that I've got to unpack. Mm. And there was a moment where I, I remember exactly that moment that you describe because you know when you're mad and you're stuck in the cycle of conflict and you think your spouse is the enemy. I thought that Tony was the problem in our relationship, and I had enough insight. And again, this is like years ago, but I had enough insight by that point where I kind of realized, oh wait a minute, you know what? You married that girl you fell in love with a woman you fell in love with, the woman you married, she's amazing. And you're not treating her like she's amazing, but she really is. And she deserves in her life someone who loves and cherishes her. And I remember thinking in that moment, I don't think I articulated it, but I remember thinking, I hope that can be me. Mm. And now we're at the point, you know, 15 years or whatever-ish after that, 
where, you know, we'll even have that as part of our dialogue. Do you feel cherished today? Do you feel loved? Do you feel mm-hmm. valued? And, you know, it's not every single day, but most but days. very consistently. Yeah, most days. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very different than mm-hmm. it was. But that was an aha moment for me where I realized, you know what? Someone else will probably fall in love with her if she leaves me, mm-hmm. and he will treat her well. So why don't I treat her well? Why don't I treat her the way I did when we were dating? That yeah. would be a lot better. So good. And I love the questions at the end of each chapter that take you back to that. Like, who was your spouse when you met them? And what made you fall in love with them? And Rebecca and, and, and I actually we, went through that. Yeah, we like, did that. When we were reading it, we took time that afternoon and it was Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was such a good conversation yeah. to to Aww. ask one another and listen, and mm-hmm. it was reflective. I mean, I think any couple listening, these these questions will stir the pot in a great way. Yeah, because you can lose sight, obviously, in the middle of, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. responsibility 15 years in. So so this, this moment for you guys was 15 years in. Now you're at 30 years. So there's a lot of wisdom coming through these pages and in this podcast. There was a sentence I wanted to read um, to the listener, um, Tony, where you said, I've heard it said that home is where you learn to love. But for some people, it's where it's more accurate that home is where you learn to hide. Mm-hmm. If you were raised by parents who were loved well themselves, you are fortunate. If you were loved well as a child, you're probably less inclined to mask your emotions or withdraw from others. You're more emotionally prepared for marriage. Trusting someone close to you will simply be easier. But if you grew up in a home where you weren't loved well and didn't have a great model of what selfless love looks like, You'll face a learning curve when you enter marriage. I'm like, man, it's just such a succinct way of describing why we have conflict, uh, especially in marriage. If we didn't see it modeled well, if we didn't see cherishing modeled well, or if we didn't see um, unconditional love um, modeled well, whether it was between our parents or our parents to us, I think of how much of a how natural it is, even more today, I think, in raising our children than even, because we have other ways to hide now. We can hide by distraction with screens, or we can hide, you know, in, you know, depending on where technology lives, if it's upstairs in somebody's room, or if it's, we're going to work to hide. It's, you know, I, I've learned in my years, Gabe and I are at 23 years, um, hmm. but wow. Congrats. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, just seven years behind y'all, but one thing... <laughs> <laughs> One thing that um, it took me a few years ago to realize that my version of hiding was work. Same. You know, it was like all those relationships were uh, mutually respected at a distance enough to never really have to get under the hood on my insecurities or my tendency to withdraw. And Tony, you describe this so well. And why I have so much affection for you as a writer is that you are very raw and vulnerable, kind of in a way that I can very much relate to, but you also very pragmatically give actionable steps with that vulnerability, which I think is very important when we're talking about resolution. You know, we're hearing one another. There's a lot of empathy happening. But in the end, the why behind the way we're acting is very important to have some sort of proactive step. So talk to the person who is hiding um, in their marriage. And maybe maybe they always hid in some small way. Maybe they, maybe they ran from who they were hiding from to jump into a relationship or jump into a marriage or maybe home in the nuclear family or whatever they were modeled as a child still required them to retreat. So how would you address the listener who hides in order to avoid pain? I love that question, 
Rebecca, and I think there are definitely things people can do, but what I'd like to say first is that you may have no idea that you're doing it. And so I think it's a time to really pay attention to self-awareness. I think the Enneagram actually helps with this. If any of your listeners are uh, Enneagram fans, you know, your shadow side um, gives clues. Um, but in the, in those days, I, I had no idea for the first several years of our marriage that that's actually what I was doing. Yeah. And I think the first clue I had that something was going on, that there was something going on and I didn't know what it was, um, was this time on vacation where I just lied on the couch and I cried and cried and oh, cried. Yeah, Cape Cod. And I don't yeah. even remember what triggered it, but all I knew was that, you know, after the 36 hours or whatever it was, and I felt like I pulled myself back together and I could go back to work and volunteering, it's just I had a choice. I'd had a clue that something was there. I just had no idea what it was. And so that was a point where I decided, okay, I think I do need to go to counseling. And through my, my spiritual growth journey, but also my, my Christian counselors were so, so invaluable because not only would they bring their professional experience to bear, but also uh, they would bring the light of Christ. They were Christian counselors and, and they would pray as well that, um, that Jesus would get to the bottom of what was going on. And finally, we were able to connect the dots that through the, the traumas that I'd experienced as a child, I had these survival mechanisms that worked at the time. They certainly served me as a child, um, but they were limiting beliefs once I hit my adult years, and particularly in our yeah. marriage. I would say, too, uh, you know, I don't think either of us felt at the, at the pit of the marriage that it was safe to come out and mm -hmm. stop hiding. I would hide, same way I think I heard you say, Rebecca, you know, you bury yourself in work. That's what I would do. And, mm -hmm. you know, it led me ultimately to burnout a few years after we hit bottom mm -hmm. in our marriage. I hit bottom in my sort of emotional life. And you just can't keep working and, and burying yourself. But uh, I realized, too, I had to reverse your pattern, which was you're better off alone, Mm -hmm. is sort of your default lie. Mm -hmm. And I had to make it safe so that I wasn't judging, I wasn't, you know, that that you could actually be open and vulnerable and mm -hmm. that I wasn't going to jump on you. So we're still still getting better at that, but that's like, if why would you, I would hide too if I was mean to you all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I think what's encouraging to people, and, and we can't say enough how much we want our listeners to read before you split. This, this book is just packed with, very helpful information and the right perspective, I think, because what you do is you you basically help us understand that we're not to demonize our partner. Like quit quit thinking they need to change and look to yourself, look to the things you've believed from childhood about your own emotional health or lack thereof. And and the work is actually to become a better version of who you are with Christ's help. And then to love your love your partner as Christ, you know, calls us to love anybody sacrificially. And that was encouraging to me as, as I saw your approach instead of demonizing the other person. I do want to ask you, though, you know, we like to talk about rhythms here, and some of the things you talk about in the book are, are rhythms that I think are part of rekindling intimacy, rekindling love. You talk about finding fun again and, and th those types of things. Talk a little bit to people who are going, and, you know, they needed a little encouragement. They're like, I relate to where you're at. I know how hard this can be. I know I've got to do some work, but... Give us a little bit of vision of what can happen on the other side of instead of choosing to split, you decide 
we're going to do the work and we're going to stay together and we're going to rekindle this. What are some of the practical practices and rhythms that you put into place in your marriage that have helped accomplish that? Well, individually, we have always had a devotional life. And I think when we got to the deep place, I approached my uh, my time with Jesus with more humility, mm. with more of an attitude of, you know, Jesus, please show me what, what my role is in this. What do I need to confess? You know, what, do, what can I bring into a conversation about forgiveness, for example? And, uh, you know, I think it started with our individual devotional lives, um, but extended into praying together. Mm-hmm. We, we started praying together more regularly. I don't want to overstate we it. It's not like five season. times a day for an hour, <laughs> but yes, no. we do. I had to take responsibility in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good. We both stepped up. And then I, I think with our time together, I think before that low, low point in our marriage, we still knew, like rationally speaking, we knew that we needed to keep having date nights and try to keep our connection. But we kind of joked that date night was fight night. Um, mm-hmm. It was <laughs> yeah. not a good joke for us, though. I know. Yeah. No, I know. Well, but I it's think the that's only true. time you really talk about it, right? Like yeah. you have, okay, here's an hour, two hours, three hours, a whole evening or whatever. And then all the stuff you don't deal with over the course of the week comes up during date night. And it's like, well, you know, on Wednesday when you drop the kids off, blah, 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 blah. And it's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. That, and that's, that didn't, that's a hard didn't go one. well. Because when you've had several fight nights, you're like, well, we don't really need date night. I, I know. Exactly. I, mm-hmm. let's all just, those people on Instagram, they're. <laughs> yeah, let's just watch a movie. They're losers. Yeah, exactly. Let's just Netflix yes. binge. And I, I really uh-huh. do think that is the temptation when there's conflict that's an unresolved, you know, the decade-long argument of whatever that looks like is people um, still need some handles and some safety zones for conversation. Um, Like, you know, where do you call a technical when someone starts to feel unsafe because you've tried to raise or express yourself in this resolution of conflict? You're on a date. And and then the heightened emotions that are attached to that, the memories, um, the narrative, just escalates that. So how did you, even in your fight nights, learn how to be the referee? Like who was the referee for what was, <laughs> well, like, we're off there, limits. There were some fails. There were some fails uh, definitely along the way where there were just some blown nights. But I think one of the things happened and, you know, when we were maybe, if I know your kids and, you know, we, we know you guys and follow you guys, but when our kids were teenagers, we started to realize, I was bad at math. I thought, oh, when our kids leave home, I'll be 90 and almost dead. And then it's like, wait a minute, I'm in my 40s and there may be a lot of life on the other side. And my favorite definition of intimacy is intimacy is shared experience. I don't know whether that's Dallas Willard or John Ortberg or where it came from, but it's absolutely true. If you think about the people that you feel closest to, they're the people that you've shared the most experiences with, whether that's a holiday, whether that's a vacation, whether that's just, you know, walking on trails or whatever. And so we said, because we met in law school, we got married in the middle of law school, had our first son 18 months after we got married, right after you literally wrote your exams and gave birth the next week. So it was like just this whirlwind of craziness in law school. And we said, let's date again. And so we started to do shared experiences. And over time, you know, whether that was hiking or walking or cycling or cross-country skiing or, um, you know, we did a, we do a lot of outdoor active stuff, canoeing, um, whatever it was, 
those reps, you get those reps in and you eventually then have extra time. I was also wanted to be much more intentional about having those conversations. So we've been empty nesters now for a while, a few years. But um, when our kids were home, I read a stat. I don't know this apocryphal, it doesn't really matter, but the average CEO spends 17 seconds a day talking to their child that isn't transactional. Wow. So you think about that. It's not like, hey, are you ready for soccer practice or brush your teeth or can you clean up dinner? But like actual conversation. And I thought, you know, that's not that far off from Tony and I trying to parent two kids and run a busy life. And so I think we learned how to not save up all of our little resentments for date night <laughs> back mm-hmm. there. Now it's easy because mm-hmm. it's just the two of us. So we talk all the time. I don't know, Tony, any any other thoughts on on breaking that rhythm and intimacy well, and that kind of thing? We did start to branch out and explore our interests a bit more too. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that the research shows that couples who do novel or exciting things together actually bond better. Like they will be more satisfied in their relationship. And I think it's because there's a growth aspect to trying something new. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to pick up a new sport or anything. (laughs) It's just try something that's interesting to both of you that stretches you a little bit. You know, trying to cook a new style of cuisine together or, you know, having a bonfire on the beach for the first time or trying, you know, visiting a, a new village and exploring it together. You know, there are all kinds of things that are novel or exciting and it does actually grow you closer to do those things. And we had started to pick that up after we got through the the fight night stage. And, and I would say to couples listening that have children, you know, it can be complicated to schedule these things, to prioritize it. There always is a hundred things competing for your time, but this is what we must do. We have to find this time to value our marriage relationship, that friendship, doing, you know, playing together, learning something new. I know for Rebecca and I, for our marriage of 23 years now, We've tried to always prioritize that right. kind of thing. And the years where we've seen a dip in that priority are the years we experience the most lack of unity, right. conflict. And I, I just can't urge people enough to take that seriously. Um, give us a little vision here. You, you talk about legacy and the importance of couples. And Tony, you've, you've been through so many as a divorce attorney. You understand what happens on the other side of people uh, splitting, not only the financial ramifications, but the absolute heartache for generations and what it does with children. And that cautionary tale can be helpful for people to just take a pause and and consider one more time, can I invest a little more here before I make that decision? So give us a little picture of of why it's so important to say yes to one another. Well, in this close relationship, in your marriage, you're creating a foundation for your family and a foundation for your children's lives. Uh, I think when people get caught up in in this conflict with each other, uh, they tend to lose sight of the impact it's having on their kids. The research does show that um, kids go through a divorce as if it's their own. Like they'll call it my divorce. And I think sometimes um, parents don't recognize just how much their child is in the middle, whether they're, they're being asked to support one parent's viewpoint over the other, or, you know, keep, uh, if, if parents end up getting separated, you know, to keep the fun that they're having at the other parent's house sort of under wraps because they don't want to offend either parent. You know, a child has a very strong drive to be attached to both parents. Mm -hmm. 
And so they'll do almost anything to protect it, even at their own personal expense. And so I think all I'm advocating that people do is is really if you think that you need to separate for the sake of your kids because sometimes i hear you know it's so bad between us that we need to separate for the sake of our kids i i ask people to to step back from that and to to think about what is what is it that your kids are experiencing right now and how can you make your experience better in this moment? Like, how can you bring more kindness and respect into your family conversations? How can you demonstrate to your child that each of you has value? You know, that you believe that your partner, who you might be ready to throw out the door, has so much value to your child. And, you know, my vision would be that if people slow down and they start to recognize their partner's value through their child's eyes, maybe they'll be able to see their value in their own eyes again. You know, maybe they'll come to a place where they can get back to recognizing all the strengths and the great qualities in your spouse that just tend to become hidden, hidden from your own eyes when you're in the midst of the conflict. And certainly that was my personal experience. And and I was so glad that I had a wise friend at the time who pushed back on me in one of those conversations. She said, "Hey, you're you're not seeing right now, but you know, Carrie is a loving man. He's he loves your kids, he loves you. He's a great leader. Like, you know, wake up." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I I had the same thing. You know, we we're getting ready to do a series on this at our church and uh the week that I got, I I think I don't know what I'm going to call it, but like we all have this idea that if I was with someone else, all these problems would go away, right? Mm. Like she would be nice and she would Mm -hmm. treat me with respect and she would blah, blah, blah. And I think having lived now enough years on the other side of that crisis in our relationship, I did find that girl, she just happened to be the same one, the same woman, (laughs) which is, which is amazing to me. And, uh, you know, if if you don't like the seed you're getting, if you don't like the harvest you're getting, just sow some new seed. Right. And I had to do that. And it takes a while. Like, this is not like, okay, I listen to this podcast and tomorrow we're going to have a whole new marriage. Mm. No, this took us years. But it is so worth it. And one of the great joys when you talk about legacy, Gabe and Rebecca, like our, our boys are in their 20s now. And we've talked to them about this in the season, and obviously they've seen the book and everything. And, and you know, they have some memory of those bad years, but they've watched their parents reconcile, fall in love, uh, have a rich life when we're together. It's so much better. And I think you're right, Tone, like everybody wants their parents to get along. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've never met a person who, even if their parents divorce, you know, when the, the child's in their 20s, the child's like, yeah, I, I want my mom and dad to be together. And so it doesn't always work out that way. But if it can work out that way, this is for unhappy mm-hmm. marriages. Uh, we would just love to see that. And and I think you you don't understand how powerful the story you're writing is. And I realized I could have sabotaged my own story and our story as a family. Yeah. And, and you really have no idea when you're in that hopeless place and you think, oh, have I signed up for a lifetime of misery? Like, I know what that feels like. And now on the other side, I just can't believe how rich our relationship is and how exciting it still is Mm -hmm. after 30 years. 
And uh, I think you just have no idea that it's possible to make that transition. But I'd like to put up my hand and say that it is. Which is why I'm so thankful that you are the one who wrote this book. There's plenty of books out there. Like I said, I think the fact that you're a woman writing it from your perspective, I really appreciated. Um, A strong woman, a woman who's like working and thoughtful and has history. And like to me, you just very raw and nurturing and vulnerable. And so thank you for that. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for going there. Thank you for both of you for pressing in because I know when people are in the middle of that road, that 15-year mark where you were, where so many people might have found themselves in these last 12 months, whatever that looks like, they really do feel like they're at a crossroads. They're at a threshold of a make-or-break situation. And if they're not able to pause, examine the heart, lean in and listen to one another, get counsel and feedback from the outside, there will be um, steps towards something that becomes detrimental. And and you can't really change on the other side. You can, but it's hard. And so these are decisions that affect a lifetime and they affect everything coming from that. And so the person who's hiding, who's hearing this today, and you have a loop in your brain that says, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot urge you strongly enough to run and grab this book for sure. If your spouse is willing to get it too and go through it with you, all the more. Like you've got you've got that on your side. Take those questions at the end of each chapter seriously. I I cannot stress this enough. This is this is your um, this is your friend Rebecca holding your hand, going this this is has my one thousand percent endorsement. It's just so well done. So thank you guys. Thank you for being a part of this conversation today. Thank you for being a witness with your lives, even without using words. Um, we're just so grateful for both of you. Well, likewise, Rebecca, I'm so grateful for you and for Gabe and for all that you're doing uh, for people and for the kingdom. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate you both and uh, see the example you're setting too and are influenced by that. And thank you so much for having us both. Well, I hope that was encouraging to you, and just we love it when we get to hear people tell their story so real, so raw, and the way Rebecca has shared her story, I think that starts to heal and gives us hope. And so I just want to encourage you, read before you split. If you're in a situation where you're thinking about marriage and you're struggling, this is such a good read. The questions Rebecca and I went through together throughout this just helped invoke all kinds of great conversation for us as well. And so this can be picked up anywhere books are sold. Just came out this week. Tony Newhoff, Before You Split. We hope you have a wonderful week.